this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, it's another patron-selected episode, which were our patrons who keep our podcast and archive and all the all the things going with their um with their patronage it's where patreon patron comes from by the way i don't know if you know that uh they they uh they get to pick a record every 12 months and it just so happens that even though uh it's been sooner than 12 months that he's been here um but we're welcoming back to the show johnny hooper welcome back Mr. Hooper. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure now, to be here. What? <laughs> just happy to be here regardless. Just happy to be around. Just anywhere. Just vertical. Yeah. Yep. I get it. Um, so for your what was your previous pick from last year? Uh built to spill. That's Perfect right. From Perfect from only now October. On. Right. Because when I when when I saw that I was like, didn't we just do that like a week ago? <laughs> it wasn't a year, and then it was like October. I was like, okay, yeah, I guess I could buy. Well, this. and and this year, you know, we had been we have a problem with our picks where everybody <laughs> is pretty much made their joined within the first three months of the year. So, and I had been sort of hitting the same people every at the beginning of every year. And this year, I was like, I'm just going to start switching it up and kind of roll the dice and see where I can slot people in a little bit differently so that we have a little bit different of a flow this year. So don't worry, everybody's getting their picks, but if you had it in January this year, it might be in March this year and vice versa or October and May and all that sort of thing uh, or that sort of stuff. So when we did built to spill, had we already done a built to spill record? You had. So this is the second time that you're picking an artist where we've already done that artist before. So you have a, you have a modus operandi as they I say. I do. When a record is that good, I don't give a damn what came before. <laughs> so tell the audience now that we've given away part of it, uh, mm -hmm. what is the record that you have selected and why did you select it? I have selected PJ Harvey's 1993 Island Records release, Rid of Me. And I've selected it because PJ Harvey is one of the defining gen uh, artists of her generation. And I feel like for me, this is her defining record. And uh, mm. it's, again, it's recorded by Steve Albini, which is an instant winner for me, almost all, uh, whatever. And, not, 100% of the time. So, uh, you know, for me, the songwriting, the production, her PJ-ness, uh, it all lines up for me as a absolutely classic record and one of the best of the 90s. 
This is your second Steve Albini pick, right? Yeah. You also did in, in utero. Albini maniac. You know, uh, recently it was um, revealed that Elvis Costello is not a fan. I have uh, that quote all lined up for right. us later. So, so I've invited Mr. Costello on. And, uh, <laughs> why don't we discuss with him? Uh, Johnny, welcome Elvis Costello. Uh, <laughs> no, that, that would be funny, but I... I uh, he didn't respond to my emails or texts. Uh, so, or as I like to call them, Declan McManus. There you go. So for those who don't know, this is the second studio album by PJ Harvey. The first was dry, which was released in 1992. That was released on the, um, label too pure, but was actually, she'd actually already signed with Island at the time. Um, so it was sort of like a, you know how it used to happen in the '90s, where like even though they were signed to a major, that first record would somehow end up on a on a, a smaller label, as if it gave them like cred by by releasing it on a an indie first. Um, but it was distributed by by Island, and then this record, uh, as you mentioned, on Island, produced by Steve Albini, came out in May of 1993. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but there's a video of so she had broken up with her band. At this point, the, t- the two guys who played um, bass and drums and um, she had scheduled to play The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. So she went out by herself um, and played the title track, Rid of Me, um, uh, from this record. And um, I don't think Jay Leno know what to make of her because she comes out, you know, she's in like a sparkly gold dress. She's playing this you know, distorted Telecaster and she's got like really bright red lipstick on and her hair is like jet black, but like kind of done up in a weird way. And she used like a loop to do some of the backing stuff that would have not been available because the band wasn't there. And Jay Leno just goes, well, that's nice. (laughs) (laughs) She, She had fired the band that played on this record. Yeah, so um, she parted ways with, uh, who was it? Um, Rob Ellis and Steve Vaughn. Yeah, Rob Rob Ellis was the drummer, and he did backing vocals as well. And then Steve Vaughn was the the bass player. And then um, after this, there'd be a a demos release uh, that came out later in the year in October. And then this was followed up with to bring you my love, which we previously reviewed. And on that, um, record, uh, Mick Harvey plays bass. You know, Mick Harvey because of his collaboration with Nick cave and, um, Jean Marc booty or Jean Marc Boutte. I don't know how you say it. He's one of the drummers. And then, uh, John Dilworth is also a drummer on that record. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of different musicians, on uh that album and john Parrish. what john Parrish, a long time uh, collaborated with uh with harvey yes he played guitar and organ and some drums and, and did some percussion so i i know we probably previously just uh covered everything as far as her uh backstory and whatnot um after to bring me my love, it was this, is this desire in '98? Stories from the city, stories from the sea in 2000. Uh huh. Her in 2004. White chalk in 2007. Let England shake in 2011. And the Hope Six Demolition Project 
in 2016. Um, and most recently, um, Elaine Johannes has been in her band, uh, in her, in her touring band yeah. along with, uh, you know, a, a number of other people. Um, Barbie is still in there. Booty is still in there. Parrish is still in there. And she's kind of added, like I saw her on the, la- on the uh, Hope Six Demolition Project tour. And first of all, it's incredibly dramatic and all those guys are still in the band. So really well done. So Jay, had you, li- I know you obviously had listened to the other record that we reviewed. Um, had you listened to any other albums such as this one from PJ Harvey? No, no, I definitely remember it. And I, re- I remember the album cover being very mm-hmm. um, iconic, but no, I'd never spent any time with the record. Yeah. I, I'll be honest. I discovered PJ Harvey on to bring me a love and I only went forward with her. So I, I listened to, is this desire and I have stories from the city on CD. Um, and then I sort of drifted away. I, 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 I listened to like white chalk and uh-huh, her and those albums, but um, I don't own them, but I've never gone backwards with her for whatever reason. So this was my first time really getting into her earlier material with regards to dry and rid of me um, and the, and the, the four track uh, recordings. So Patreon, we'll get into the poll that everybody voted in at the end of the show, but we did get some comments on this record. Willie Dillon said, classic, impactful Albini production, dynamic, interesting songwriting, and tons of feeling that make it a worthy album for me. David Gorgo said, poetic, tuneful, and most of all, fucking intense. It sounds like she is singing directly into your brain. Jim Lozowski said, I think just about every PJ Harvey recording is a worthy album. Seeing her play the title track from this live was about as good as rock and roll gets for me. I love everything about PJ, and this was my first exposure to both her and Albini, so it has a special place in my heart. Frank Garcia Hell, worthy album for sure. A massive and raw sound that grabs you and doesn't let go. Great representation of how PJ Harvey is an undeniable sonic force of nature. Um, and then he brings up the Elvis Costello Albini tiff. Uh, Johnny Hooper, that's you. <laughs> you had some comments. I'm going to skip to those or skip those for now. Uh, Kyle Bittner said, it's been a long time since I listened to this album. I forgot how raw and emotionally draining it was. Worthy album, though. Gavin said, this album, this is the album that introduced me to PJ and is still my favorite of hers. Sits comfortably with the angsty sound of the early 90s, but less comfortably into the rest of her catalog. Great album. Aaron says, this album is a cracker. Still sounds just as good today as all those years ago. The only thing better is experiencing Polly Jean live. Absolutely worthy album. And Darren Lehman says, interesting sounding record. It comes across as raw and purposely abrasive. I would classify it as an art rock record with a punk attitude. It has a real DIY feel to it as well. My favorite tracks are 50 Foot Queenie, Me Jane, and Dry. Most definitely a worthy album. So everybody said worthy album. We should not have any dissension on that poll. That's how it's, it's perfect. Going. Good show. See you guys uh, next All right. Time. So guys, talk to you later. Oh, wait. We got to talk about this record. Okay. Jay, tell me one thing you liked about Rid of Me. By P.J. Harvey. This record is very dynamic in a, I think, a unique way. Um, so 
usually when I review records, I don't like to do the history thing because I just want to go in like just pure like what I know and just what it sounds like and start from there. Mm-hmm. And the snare sound right away for me was a Albini giveaway. <laughs> um, so I knew right away, I was like, okay, hmm, I wouldn't expect him to work with this artist. Um, let's see where this goes. And I think what's really cool about it is um, the band and her songwriting have this natural like push and pull going on all the time. Like she's very dramatic. Um, she's very dynamic. Um, I'm assuming that, you know, when she performs on her own or in her demos are probably that those pieces and parts are there, but it's really, I think interesting how the band, the, the drummer in particular kind of plays with that. Um, and it's not your typical, like, um, kick on the distortion pedal for the chorus and play clean for the verse, you know, quiet, loud thing. While they do some of that, there's a lot of other subtlety in here that is really cool when you filter it through the Albini production. So they're able to play like, you know, like a live band would dynamically, like the drummer will play lighter or with brushes or he'll use like different kinds of drums, like really high tuned um, toms or like even like, I don't know if he's like hitting stands or something, there's like clinky sounds. But he creates almost this like orchestra of percussion that then she's over top of and just kind of like organically performing. And the music always has this like, um, like this natural push and pull of, you know, she's ahead or she's behind. And then the drums are playing off of the vocal or getting out of the way. You know, they do a good job of like, you know, when she's going to sing a hook, they kind of the band will pull out a little bit and let that vocal really cut through. And when you filter that all through the Albini production, which is fairly dry, um, I mean, his stuff is usually punchy and raw, but, you know, fairly dry from a like reverb standpoint, you get this really cool kind of punk attitude, sound rawness, but you still get this almost orchestrated kind of presentation, which is, weird like usually like if the band was to perform this way the producer would maybe layer in more things or true it more reverb and become kind of prettier and more atmospheric but because he's producing it like so raw you just get this real cool like really really raw uh, version of you know them performing and being really dynamic and almost you know orchestrating a lot of this stuff so it's a very unique sounding um record i think for this type of music um and i really i think appreciate her more as a singer on this record than i did on the previous one in particular like rid of me i think you really can hear you know she's got a really beautiful vibrato and sings with a ton of emotion um and lyrically you know she's delivering the emotional lyrics all the time and the way that she says them and little things she adds and the emotion she brings. And I just thought again, with the way that this record produces and the way that the band plays around her, that's all has a spotlight on it. You know, it's, 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 um, it's way more clear to me on this record than the other one we reviewed, you know, who she is, what she's about, what she sounds like as a performer. Um, and then, 
I think in the end, it just has a lot more emotion. Like it just feels like punchier and more immediate, um, especially in headphones. I mean, it's very present. It's like right there. Um, so you kind of get that, all that intensity uh, is definitely delivered through the way that this is performed and recorded. Because you know, I I mentioned I was first uh, aware of PJ Harvey based on the next record, so and that's what I dug was her sort of restraint on half the record. It's very minimal. It's very um, stripped down in a in a different way than this is stripped down. And I, going forward, then hearing is this desire, and then stories by the city, story by the sea is like. I don't know, Johnny, would you say it's her most pop record? Like yeah, in terms of production most, and sound? She's definitely going for it on that record. Right, yeah. And to hear this is such the polar opposite of of that record. Um, and it really makes you appreciate, or, or me, me at least, just how she can tackle so much material and make it her own. And she can do sort of, you know, this these sort of bluesy sort of, I don't know how do you describe um, some of the stuff on to bring me love, but it's, you know, very quiet, minimalistic and, and she's able to use her voice effectively. And then with the pop stuff on stories from the city, it's, she can find the melodies that are really interesting without going over the top with her vocal. But then on this one, she's able to like really dig in emotionally with her vocal and, um, you know, I. It's really interesting to hear her. With she's not just raw, but like the band is raw with her, and it's not as clean and it's not as produced, and it definitely reminds me more of like, of of the punk that, you know, was mentioned, especially on on songs like Fifty Foot Queenie or, or um. What was weird was hearing um. Is it man size? sextet with the with the um strings mm -hmm. at the beginning and i was like this sounds like cursive like this sounds like the beginning of of um of uh that ep that they did with the with the strings and i can you know i can hear her um being so ahead of the time or ahead of the game in terms of like what she's doing and being such a uh interesting artist and being so forward thinking and you know, putting strings on a, what essentially is like an art punk record is such a, a ballsy move to, to be, uh, uh, fairly, um, uh, boneheaded about the description, but, um, it's just, a, it's such a fascinating record to hear her just shredding her vocals on one song. And then being like, you said, Jay, she's then able to like display this amazing voice with these um, quieter moments 
And uh, it was great uh, to, to hear all that because I had not listened to this record. I really only knew more of the, the produced stuff. So the, hearing this with Albini's sort of, you know, dry approach to production as opposed to some of the cleaner and, and more produced records later on is, um, is pretty cool. I mean, she went back to like white chalk is pretty rough production wise in terms not rough, but you know what I mean? It's like more stripped down and, um, some of the other records going forward, she did like strip it back a bit, but, um, yeah, I really, I, having never listened to this before, I was really, I was concerned that I was going to be like, well, it's not to bring you my love, which I really, I love that record. So, but I think this is on an equal plane with that record in terms of just how good the, her vocals are and her melodies and how good the performances are. Yeah, I think, and when you say stripped down on this record, it's, it's, um, I guess I would describe it more as like essential, Mm-hmm. You know, her, her, her vocals tend to be, you know, single track, like she's not doubling herself. Yes, there's right. some harmonies here and there, you know, guitar wise, you know, a lot of times there's just one guitar that'll double track all the guitars. So it's just trying to get a good performance with the minimal instrumentation if you can. That doesn't mean like it, it definitely sounds big, like, especially like percussion wise, there's this big expansive drum kit that they use with all this other I don't know. It's just the way it mics. It's like, you know, it's very large sounding. So it's not that it's like, you know, small or tinny or, you know, in that way, when you say like, when we, when we say raw, it's more, um, it's less indulgent and more essential, I guess. That's the way I would yeah. think about it. I'm just thinking of it in comparison to, you know, um, this is 1993 yeah. And I'm trying to think of like what what was Island putting out in nineteen ninety-three. I should look back at that. Cause I, I gotta imagine like in terms of their um catalog, I mean that, yeah. that record label's been around for you know since the sixties. I, I don't know that they have that much rock, period. Mm. Or alternative, I think of them more as like. Well, I just think of them as, as like U two, yeah, and um, you know, just not as. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a look real quick, but I just feel like in 1993, for this to come out on a on a major label like Island, it seems like a chance. Like they they gave her the artistic freedom to do something that's this in your face in terms of it being so immediate. Whereas yeah. if you listen to like the, the YouTube records that are on either side of this with Octum baby and Zeropa, you know, they don't sound anything like I'm trying to find that where, where 1993 sits in the, in the Island and records open for YouTube, by the way. On what tour? What what album for them? Uh, I read. I didn't know this going into it. I read that she did open some dates late in Zeropa, but then I saw her open on the um, All That You Can't Leave Behind tour. Huh. And she well, I guess it, stories from the city. Yeah, that makes sense because of that record being 
you know, the push for yeah, the, and, you um, know, who produced it, right? Flood. Right. Well, he had produced, um, to bring my love. Right. right? Okay. So, yeah, I mean, this is the same year as Europa. And this is, you know, I'm looking at the artists that released album, Melissa Etheridge's Yes, I Am, uh, The Cranberries, um, a lot of pop stuff, PM Dawn. Uh, oh, they did Driving Crying this year. Um, <laughs> so it's, you know, Stereo MCs. Uh, what else did they put out? It's, I'm just saying in comparison, it's a lot of very polished stuff. And I got to imagine that the A&R, whoever the A&R person who had to go to like the president and be like, oh, no, no, this is, this is where we want to be going. Like, I understand, like, and maybe it was a a matter of like, um, you know, U2 is making so much money that they can take risks on artists like her because I, you know, Octum Baby did a gazillion dollars probably in comparison to like, you know, pro- on the same level as like the Joshua Tree and and no and Rattle and Hum and stuff. So it wasn't like they were hard up for cash. And it, and that was the time where you were allowed to like, as an A&R person or as a record label, take some chances on smaller artists based on the success of larger artists. But it's just, it's well, interesting that that this was out on, you know, Island instead of, a smaller label, like a equivalent of sub pop, I guess I would say. I, I would give, uh, I think 92 things were more open by that point. Um, 93, even more so, but 92, I think most of these record companies were already starting to say, Hey, what, let's give this stuff a shot. Cause it seems to be breaking right now, but her foresight to work with Albini is pretty interesting to me like yeah before nirvana yeah i could get after nirvana but before nirvana for the type of music that she creates um i think that was a really um um really interesting choice and probably speaks more to her or you know in terms of like taking that chance and working with him and then the record label getting it and then like being in the right place to say like, okay, yeah, this is something that, you know, we think it has a shot based right. on the state of the world now. She's yeah, heavily to... influenced by the um, Pixies Surfer Rosa record. So that's, Oh, that, that makes that. sense. Yeah. She's actually in a Pixies documentary talking about it. So she's a, a massive Pixies fan. I was going to say dry. The song dry. I could definitely hear the Pixies influence on that. Okay. 
Well, then, yeah, that that totally. I guess. Well, and Utero came out the same year, so you know. But like I said, they were they hadn't come out yet. Well, so. Albini had sent Kurt a finished copy, and uh, it was basically what really sold Kurt on recording at Pachyderm Studios with Albini. Oh, really? Yeah. So, what works best for you? I know that you. you think this is a worthy album but what are the things that work best for you johnny on this album uh i love you know pj harvey is a real shapeshifter i feel like she's almost like kind of dylan-esque or bowie-esque kind of changing her genre almost each record like each record is quite distinctly different from what came before it um but this incarnation of her for me is, is just primo. It's that kind of that feral lady blues. Uh, she's, she's wounded and injured from some lover and guitar is, is foremost in her attack at that time. And I really like Polly Jean Harvey when she's playing guitar. It's much like Cat Power. I love Cat Power when she's playing guitar. I don't like Cat Power when she's playing piano. I don't want to see Paula Jean Harvey playing piano, which is White, White, White Chalk is a piano record. Um, so I love, PJ P. Harvey initially is the name of the band, the trio that is PJ Harvey, right? She, she, she didn't go by the name PJ, she's mm-hmm. Paula Jean, but the band is called PJ Harvey. So I love that three piece that made those two records probably the most out of all the the stuff that she has she's done so i just love the the trio setup i love the fact that she's playing guitar it just seems to change the dynamic slightly in her whole you know her career if you look uh, kind of at it as a whole and um i just love the fact that she's tackling the blues and i love the fact that albini's recording her tackling the blues i i i never there's never a, a prolonged period where I don't listen to this record. Uh, these Albini records that we've talked about, you know, we've talked about in utero. We've talked about this. These records that he records, they're timeless. We talk about them through the decades. Surfer Rosa, The Breeder's Pod. Like we keep coming back to these. The, the way you produce these records is incredibly important. You know, we could be talking about Jane's Addiction, uh, Nothing Shocking. Some of the production on there is slightly embarrassing. Like some of these important records from the early 90s sound like shit now. But the way Albini records, even though he's derided in some circles, I'm telling you, it makes a real difference to be able to to mic the way he mics. Say what you will about his his vocal approach. For me, I I still love it personally. I think it's it, it's it's crucial um, the impact he's had on alternative music. Well, I agree. I think the yeah. like I said, he, he, to me, he takes that he takes the, an essential approach. He tries his best to capture what the band is at their truest sense. Yeah. Um, if you're not a good band, you're probably not going to sound very good with him. Yeah. So you know, I'm sure he picks. A, bands that are already pretty good right and um yes i don't think he likes to think he has a sound but i can tell i can usually tell his records i'm sure you can too um as you get used to like just the 
there's a particular room sound to it. Um, it has that like intimate practice space kind of feel to it, like a small room um, vibe that I think makes it helps make it timeless. I think when you add other when you add other environments to it, like in an arena or a theater, or like you're trying to create a um, a particular space in the way that the record sounds that then has the chance of becoming dated as opposed to like the music in your head, you know, it's a lot more closer to the way I think his records uh, produced, which means you're, you're really just listening to the people perform, um, which is really hard to do um, to pull that off. But I- I'm with you at, um, I think this band in particular comes across really well, this type of production and the blues, I think the blues point too was surprising to me. Like, Specifically songs like Highway 61, Revisited, 50 Foot Queen, and Me Jane. definitely hear like the Bo Diddley like old school rock and roll Johnny Cash style guitar playing like there's like threads through that of like literal you know not just blues from the spirit of the blues but like from a music standpoint even like pieces and parts of you know old school rock and roll or you know uh, blues rock yeah which was interesting to hear her do that and then to have it here here produced this way which is think again when you you do that kind of music and you don't do it in a really raw way it can become kind of cheesy which this doesn't i just want to jump in on there and say tim you mentioned her solo performance on the tonight show i think earlier that year she performed solo on 120 minutes and to double on jay's point her playing a cover of Howlin' Wolf's Wang Dang Doodle. I urge you to go to YouTube immediately and check that performance out. That is ballsy and incredible. And it really gives you insight. And you know, this is a, a woman who I think had crippling stage fright at a certain point, but boy, yeah. you sure uh, would know it uh, on that, uh, on that uh, TV uh, spot. Incredible mm. performance. Well, and that's a good, you know, you mentioned about, uh, Kurt getting a, a, a early copy of this, you know, think about what Nirvana was doing with hundred, with their unplugged where they were covering, um, Let where'd you it. sleep last night? And yeah, they, they were tuned into that as well. And that was, I think in, in part because of the Seattle connections to like Mark Lanigan, who was interested in, in that sound and, um, some of the other guys. And so, although it's not present in, the music of uh, these artists that we think of as being, you know, key elements of the nineties. Um, they at least had it as a foundational element where um, old school blues is present in their mind. And I think of that when I think of like, you know, someone that, excuse me, she's collaborated with like Nick cave. 
um, there is a blues element in his storytelling. Um, you know, a lot of old school blues music, it, it can get very violent and very sexual in its content. And, um, cave is essentially reinterpreting that in his, in his way, um, you know, for a modern audience. And, um, I think, I think a lot of the best musicians who are, you know, maybe they're not very, uh, vocal about it, but at least they have that catalog to draw from that they've listened to and they, and they understand, um, the importance of, of music that, you know, when I, I think when I first heard of PJ Harvey, it was like, oh, well, she's like the new Patti Smith. And I was like, okay, what does that mean exactly? And, um, because, you know, man size sextet is, has like a poet, a, a spoken word vibe, which would be like connected to uh, a Patti Smith. And, um, and I, I think I come to realize that was sort of like the, the lazy nineties, uh, comparison. Cause you're just looking for a, a comparison to a strong female voice that was tackling, mm. you know, very tackling head on, um, you know, songs that weren't just like love songs that were addressing feminism in, in a certain way and addressing, um, darker subject matter that, uh, you know, was not in no doubt song. And also just like, just really honest. Right. Maybe it's a lazy comparison. of like, Oh, it's somebody who like really is true and honest and speaks their minds and, isn't right politically correct or just trying to like say things that are nice. Like they're actually trying to be raw and get to the true emotion of things. I know they happen to be a woman. So I guess that's the analog. Yeah. I think in, in some ways, and this can be a weird comparison. I don't, I don't know that she has a peer, um, in terms of what we think of as a rock peer. You mentioned about her reinventing herself. She, she's more, if I was going to re- compare to anybody, she's more like the indie version of David Bowie in, in a sense where like, you don't know what you're getting with this next record. Like it could be anything um, from her and she's completely willing to ditch her sound from the previous record and go with something experiment. Like, isn't the hope I'm trying to remember the hope six de- demolition project. Wasn't that recorded like on the fly in some aspects where she was like, in a recording booth out on the street and like recording live in front of people? No, it was, it was actually an art project where she recorded, I think it was a place called Somerset house in London. Okay. And so she was recording, um, on certain days you could, I guess, buy a ticket and by buying a ticket, you were somehow donating to whatever this, this art scape was. And you would see them, potentially working on the music for that record. You didn't know what you were gonna get. You, there could be a day you would, you would show up and she wouldn't necessarily be there. Maybe it would be, you know, Jean-Marc Bouti doing his, his drum work. But the point was is that you could come and watch them put this record together. But of course the, the crux of, of that record about traveling to Washington, Afghanistan, and forgive me, I forget, there, there's, there's a third location. And her kind of taking in her, it's like a, almost like a, um, she's like journaling almost. And all the lyrics are very 
they're very much about what she's seen in these three locations that she's been to. They're almost like, it's like a diary almost. And it's a little too literal for my liking. I like kind of the more, you know, heart sick, love sick PJ. But, um, but again, it just shows you how inventive she is. The, the previous record, Let England Shake, was all about uh, England through the, the, the World War I and World War II. So like, you know, she's completely just, she's completely reinventing herself every time. Right. Is there any aspect of this record that doesn't work for you, Johnny? Honestly, no. I mean, and, and, and just to be brutally honest, it works for me on every, on every level. Uh, I don't think she was, she was never this PJ Harvey again but I loved it for the time that it exists in. One thing I do want to show you, and it's kind of six degrees of separation with Albini. Um, Albini recorded Slint, right? Mm -hmm. He recorded Slint's first record, uh, Tweez. On the follow-up, um, uh, Spiderland, which you guys have have not taken too kindly to, but that's all right. Mm -hmm. It did create post-rock, but... That's another show for another time. It created a genre of music, I guess. <laughs> what more do you want? Um, she's a big Slint fan as well. On the back of Slint's Spiderland, I'll show you here. It says, interested vocalist, please write, you know, wherever, whatever the P.O. box is. Polly Jean Harvey responded to that so somewhere in drummer Britt Walford's basement there's a response from Paula Jean Harvey to be a future female vocalist for Slint unfortunately they broke up not soon thereafter actually before this record even comes out so that's just a nice little tying it into kind of Albini and what have you Interesting. Had she joined the band, we might like that Slint record better. You don't. <laughs> See, they're even admitting they need a vocalist. Sliding doors. Oh, uh, what could have been? What could have been? That's really cool. Jay, what about for you? Is there anything that doesn't work on this record? Uh, there's little pieces and parts I can nitpick on. Like, I don't get why a man's size sextet is on this record. I, I like. I like it. I think it's cool to hear the strings and her. It's interesting about that. The strings are actually doing the melody, like they're singing, which is kind of cool. And she's delivering lyrics, which is a flip, you know, in terms of instead of her singing and strings accompanying her, she's almost like flipped the script on that. I just don't think it sounds right on this record. I don't, it doesn't have anything to do with anything else. Um, other than there might be a moment or two where cello appears, but it's just a weird thing to have on this this record for me um and then there's just a couple songs that are like average you know they don't kind of um step up to the quality of the rest a hook is one and i think ecstasy isn't particularly amazing um and then the only other thing there's a couple moments where the production maybe goes a little far like yuri g is one example um with the heavy percussion that's on that and the way that it almost be it, it starts to get a little distracting like it almost sounds like uh drum machines or something I, but it's not um 
just sounds a little separate from what the song rest of the song is doing at times. I, I think the chorus of that song is great. So I'm willing to forgive it, but there are a couple of moments there where I could see um, some people being a little distracted by the, the production. But overall, I obviously think it's great, great. Um, but I can nitpick here and there. Um, but just, you, just for uh, the completest's sake, it's PJ Harvey actually playing the all the instruments in terms of the guitar, cello, violin, um, and organ. Those aren't like outside musicians that they brought in oh, for wow. that. Um, I, you know, I don't have a particular problem with any points in the record, I think it really works well together. Um, yeah. I mean like the last song ecstasy is, is fine. Um, if it wasn't there, I don't, I wouldn't care, but I don't, this, it doesn't feel long to me. I mean, a lot of these songs are pretty short, yeah. you know, we're talking two minutes long and stuff. So this isn't like a record that overstays it. It's welcome in any way. Um, but like I said, I did discover her on the next record and I do like those very sort of droney hypnotic moments that occur like on the title track and, um, a couple other spots. Uh, it's just a different vibe and I, I, but I can set those aside and say, well, this is a different record and I don't need them to be on this record. Um, but if you're asking me to rank them, I would still put that record ahead of this one, but I don't really have any, you know, major issues with it. I, I listened to this a bunch, um, and actually had it on, um, on speakers and was listening to it. And my daughter came in and she's like, what is that? Because she listens to like, <laughs> she listens to like, you know, do you know who Julie and yeah. the phantoms are? It's like a, a made up Disney plus thing. Yeah, it's like a Disney band, but they they do like power pop. Like it sounds like Letters to Cleo, but it's like a high school band or a college band or whatever they are. So she's like listening to that, and then I'm busting out like a Steve Aldini produced 1993 record, and she's like, "What? What?" I'm like you'll you'll get there. Don't worry. I'm slowly work. I'm slowly working stuff in. You'll get there. <laughs> I'll make you. I'll make you um, an outcast musically. Uh, some slowly but surely. So, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't have any issues. So normally we talk about what singles were released in, in, you know, this, this wasn't like, this did do well in the UK, made it to number three on the UK album chart, made it to number 158, <clears throat> excuse me, in the Billboard 200. Um, there were no 
US charting singles, at least on the, you know, like I'm sure CMJ and and the college radio were were playing the heck out of this. But um 50 foot Queenie and Man Size only charted in the UK, both top 50 singles in the UK. But I can't there's nothing on here that you know US radio is still pretty polished at this point and, and Canadian radio for that matter. Um I can't imagine them playing 50 foot Queenie. So no. no, but it did get play on our uh 120 minutes equivalent, which was much called, music. Yeah, on but on much music we had a show called The Wedge, which was the alternative show. Before the wedge it was called City Limits, which was absolutely groundbreaking and really exposed a lot of artists. A lot of most artists from England would break in Toronto first because we were we had a incredible radius. We still do, but the thing is it's you know it's the edge now and the, there's the, the edge in every city in North America. But back mm-hmm. in the day, CF and Y was incredibly groundbreaking for bringing artists over early. And um, and so to build on that, uh, the wedge on much music was fantastic you uh, in those days you get an hour uh and they they'd be playing this video uh you know quite often i mean pj harvey got a lot of airplay Thanks right so much. So. let's talk about our overall ratings on this record were the album battery p or decent single i know it's folly to ask but johnny where do you land thumbs up yep we're the album jay we're the album yeah i'm gonna round that out with a worthy album uh no surprise 90 percent of our voters of patreon went with worthy album five percent better ep and five percent decent single but neither the ep or the single people spoke up if you're gonna go contrary or if you're gonna be contrarian make your voice heard folks bring the heat that's insurrection, the heat. bastards. <laughs> they have stormed the capital of PJ Harvey and desecrated rabble rousers. Traitors. I wonder if some people just vote just to, to mess with the poll. I think they're trying to piss me off. I think so too. I think Unfortunately, it. we don't get statistics or we would leak them to you so you could hunt that person down. <laughs> and uh and, and get them banned from the apple store but uh thing as a pissed off canadian i'm here <laughs> that's funny it's gonna cut off your maple syrup supply son Damn it's all sure. over yep. uh well johnny thank you for once again bringing a uh a, i'd say a timeless record from the nineties, an important document of this decade that we're able to add to our, our catalog of, of reviews. Um, I'm glad we're, I'm glad it, you know, we're getting to see or hear two different sides of PJ Harvey with these two reviews. So I think that's, that's a really interesting, um, you know, pair of records that people get to check out. So thank you again. Did you listen to the, to the four track demos? Not the four track demos. No. It's interesting. What are those? What is that called? Or it's actually called four track demos, and oh, okay. it's just the spare um, the spare demos that would lead to rid of me, plus a few um, 
actually very worthy songs that frankly should have maybe even made it onto that record. Uh, but of course, the the infamous Elvis Costello quote talks about how he much prefers the the uh, four track demo recordings uh, to Steve Albini's production, which he says, quote, sounds like shit. Oh, well, that's his whole critique. And we just cancel Elvis Costello right now. No, I mean, well, first of all, if you're going to cancel Elvis Costello, there are other reasons. Um, his mouth has gotten him in trouble. <laughs> previously uh but you got to understand this is a guy who works with operas and and orchestras and he's recorded with burt Bacharach and alan toussaint and like he's used to a certain level of fidelity that steve albini is actively working to destroy essentially so you know he's a 60 70 year old man at this point he's he's not gonna uh, probably uh take to uh to albini's production style it's funny because we have a, I listened to a podcast here called Creative Control, Creative with a K. And um, it's hosted by a guy named Vish Khanna, who used to live in Guelph, which is kind of, um, you know, outer. I know Ontario. Guelph. Yep. You know Guelph. Yeah. Guelph. Uh, he moved to Edmonton now, but he's, he's a, a very friendly with Albini. Albini's been on his show many times. And uh, he was most recently on just after these quotes from, uh, from uh, Costello have uh, reared their ugly head. And uh, and Vish asked him about it. And then he said, oh yeah, Costello, that motherfucker can't stop talking about me, eh? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's funny too, because Costello was quoted back in, during Rid of Me's uh, promotional cycle by saying, it sounds like all these songs are about fucking and injuries. He just likes to run his mouth. He really does. He has he has problems with his mouth. He should just stick to singing, not talking. It's it gets him in trouble. Um, well, from Guelph to Medicine Hat, uh, they're they're going to be uh, loving this episode. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I bet you didn't know I, I knew about Medicine Hat. Yeah, nice. I, I, I know. I know, I know stuff. I know stuff. If you would like to suggest a record, you have to go to the DMO Union or digmeoutunion.com. Join us. It's as little as two bucks a month where you can vote in our polls for albums. We have one every month with uh, eight or nine records for people to vote on. And then that becomes an album review. And you suggest an album by going to digmeoutpodcast.com and dropping a suggestion into the album suggestion link uh we just recently had we released our data as far as who was suggesting the most and some people are dropping 20 30 suggestions in there it's uh it's crazy and so you better get in there because you're not going to get anything until 2025 at this point and uh the bills have been on their fifth super bowl by that point and uh i might be checking out i might be turning well, this going, over to my uh... kid we start, I'm realizing we started that in May of 2018. So there's several years worth of suggestions in there. Are we still dealing with 2018 suggestions? No, 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 no. But I'm just saying oh, okay. that's why they're, you know, some people have, you know, 20 or 30 suggestions they've made because it's been over gotcha. the course of three years. Am I allowed to suggest? Cause I got some ideas. <laughs> sure. They just have to win you know, the poll. We haven't done, we haven't done, uh, we haven't done that 
uh, Boys to Men album that I really want to do. Was that no. you? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, and um, also want to remind people the Box newsletter. It shows up in your email inbox every weekend uh, with a calendar of new releases coming out each week, albums, movies, TV shows, uh, and books related to the 80s and 90s music that we cover. And of course, we include some uh, reviews of new stuff that's come out. Uh, it's a little slim right now. There's not a lot of new releases. I had to re- review a very terrible Bon Jovi album, uh, <laughs> but it was the only thing that I had access to. And I'm not happy about it, to be honest. I uh, just noticed that uh, the Licorice Quartet album put out another EP on January yep. 7th and totally missed it. So we yeah. got that in there now. They have an album's worth of material now. I believe they're going to package those two EPs as an album. Hmm. So uh, you can get them on double vinyl, you know, or not double, but you can get them as a vinyl record. Oh, cool. And then uh, Apple Podcasts is where uh, the uh, podcast gets your love. If you want to want to give some love uh, over there, feel free to um, say something nice about yeah. us so we if can you're destroy lis- NPR. If you're listening to us on the Apple Podcasts app, it's right there. Just give us a five-star review. There you go. That's it. It's five Just stars. Do Just do it. You know, it's not that hard. <laughs> just click the little button. <laughs> just a little click. Just a little click. Just one little click. Uh, Johnny, thanks once again for coming back. Always a pleasure. I'm sure we'll see you soon on a roundtable. Let's do it. And uh, for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Dig Me Out.